Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. Now here is Pastor Jesse Peterson. All right. Welcome to Northgate, where they'll let anybody preach. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, you can get in on this too. It's easy, you know. Just just buy off Pastor Ken and you're in. So, uh, no, I want to say thanks to Pastor Ken. Um, It takes a lot of bravery to and guts to let your worship leader come up and talk. But in in all honesty, I just am so thankful I work with him uh, and for uh, this team. And it's just fantastic to be a part of this church. And so these last few weeks, um, we've been talking about Jonah, the, the book of Jonah. And there's four chapters in Jonah. Uh, and uh, we've gone through chapters one and two, and I get to go. They dumped three and four on me, so uh, it's going to be 45, 50 minutes of message, and don't worry. You're out I'm just joking. They have a clock, okay? It's not... <laughs> they get the cane out. They pull me off here real quick. So, <clears throat> but before we get into the message of Jonah, because I'm up here, I've got a special announcement for you guys. Um, I hope that you hear this and uh, um, that you join in on this. Uh, just in a couple of weeks, we are going to be hosting here at Northgate a night of worship on a Friday night. should be very, very cool. Best part about it is that night will be the recording, and you get to be on it if you're here that night, of Northgate Live Volume 2. Yeah. So if you're like me and you've loved Volume 1, but it's worn out its welcome, we have a whole nother one ready for you, and you get to say to your friends, hey, I'm a rock star, I've been on a record, Okay. By being here in this room, I think what happens in our weekend services, what Kyle and the guys just did in this, in this time, in this space, was that powerful? It was fantastic, right? And so you get to be a part of that each weekend, and we just want to share what God's doing in the worship times here in our church. We want to share that with others, and we want you to be able to live that throughout the week. But it would be super lame if it was like, Northgate Live, Volume 2, and you hear this. Right? You got one person singing, and then you got one person clapping. So what I'm hoping is that we fill this room, okay? I'm hoping we fill this room with people who want to experience God and passionately worship Him. And there's an easy way to do that. There are tickets online. Now, the tickets are not going to be required to get in the door necessarily, but it is a way for us to know how many people are coming. So if we're looking at and say, oh, we have 30 tickets sold, even though they're free, uh, we need to do a little bit more advertising and begging <laughs> to be a part of this. So it's easy. You go to northgateweb.com forward slash worship. Get your tickets. Uh, it's not something that, you know, we want you to go and grab 20 tickets because you're going to try and invite 20 friends. We want, uh, unless they want to get down and have a fun time, and you've got 20 friends that'll do it, uh, we, want, we want this room to be filled with North Gators and making this album as a statement of our church, okay? So, raise your right hand, repeat after me. I'm joking, you don't have to. Just go online and get the tickets. It'll be very easy, okay? Let us know. Um, I don't want to be the day before thinking, oh my gosh, 30 people are going to be there. This is going to be weird. Um, so grab your tickets, okay? Feel bad for me. Grab your tickets, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so we're in back into Jonah, okay? And we've gone through chapters 1 and chapters 2. And a little recap on Jonah is that Jonah was a prophet in 750 BC. That's before Christ. And in 750 BC, God told a prophet named Jonah to go from your hometown and get up to a place called Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was uh, <clears throat> the ca- uh, Assyrian capital. And the Assyrians, we've learned, are, were bad dudes. I mean, like, if you didn't get along with them, heads on pikes, bodies split open, not a good place to be. And the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, and the Assyrians were not buddies, okay? So God told Jonah to go over to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I'm not going. He jumps on a boat and he heads towards Tarshish. 
the farthest place away he knows he can get. And while that happens, there's a storm. And Pastor Larry reminded us of the story in there that um, they knew that something was wrong with Jonah, that Jonah was the issue. So they asked him, what's wrong? And he said, hey, all you got to do is throw me in the water. Uh, you just got to let go of me. Just throw me in the water, and uh, it's all going to be okay. And then he had us underline the word instead. Because they heard that message, and if you remember, instead, they decided they were going to work harder, right? So they knew what God was telling them to do, but instead, they worked harder instead of letting it go. And Pastor Larry reminded us that sometimes there's people in our life, there's things in our life that we need to just let go. And then he painted this picture, and I'll never get it out of my head, maybe because I'm sick and twisted, but I never get it out of my head that all of a sudden they throw Jonah in the water, and he's bobbing up and down, and the storm is gone, And he's just bobbing there, right? And then all of a sudden, bam, a big fish comes and grabs him, right? Maybe a whale, maybe a big fish. And it reminds me of this YouTube video. And we're going to show it to you here in a second. Don't don't show it yet because I just have to set it up. Okay, yeah, no, not yet. I'm sick and twisted, okay? So I recognize this before you watch it. Uh, um, I'm sick and twisted. And this this is exactly what I think is happening. And Jonah's bobbing out in the water. So now you can show it. Jonah's bobbing on the water, and look at the kayaker on the far right. You're going to see something crazy just happen. Oh, oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. I'm, all, I'm not going to show you a picture of somebody dying, okay? He comes back. It's okay. Everything's okay. There he is. Yeah. That's the sick, twisted picture I have of Jonah bobbing in the water, right? And then all of a sudden, a big fish just comes on. And Pastor Rocky reminded us of what it was like to be inside the belly of the whale and have no hope for what's coming next. And maybe it was a life situation or maybe it was like Jonah running away from God. It's caused in your life. And he said there's hope in the midst of that. Do you remember that? There's hope in the midst of when you're in the belly of the whale, there is hope. And so we're going to go through the next two chapters. And up to this point, we've kind of reviewed Jonah with the eyes that we are Jonah. You and I are Jonah. And these last two chapters, I think we actually learn more about who God is than we learn about ourselves and being like Jonah. And so we're going to go through that. And I've got three points to share with you about what I believe these two chapters share. you. And then this book also has questions. It's one of the only books I've seen with so many poignant questions. And so I'm going to ask you two personal questions. And then we're going to tie it all back into Jesus, okay? So three points, two questions, and then Jesus. You ready? Okay. So um, like Pastor Ken said, uh, the notes are uh, in your smartphone. So if you would turn your holy smartphones to page... You can do whatever you like. You can get the paper Bible. You can be on the screen. You got your notes. We're going to go Jonah 3, 1 through 9. I'm going to read it quickly, so stay, stay with me. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on uh, sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose up from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So Jonah walks into Nineveh. 
gives an eight-word sermon, and 120,000 people turn back to God. I know that you are all hoping I have an eight-word sermon left for you, and that's it. And God bless you, and amen, and on to football. Go Niners. I know that's what you're hoping for. So I'll try it. God loves you, and so do I, too. God bless you. Go Niners. See you later, right? It's not that easy. I highly doubt he said eight words, okay? This is a story form about what happened. So I'm sure he gave the message, essentially, it's time to turn around and make a different choice in your life. And they said, I'm sorry, they repented all the way down to the animals. They sincerely repented. Have you ever said, I'm sorry, but kind of didn't mean it? Like, I'm sorry you're upset about that. (laughs) Right? You didn't necessarily mean it, but these people, they meant it. They turned around. And what's the deal with the animals? Like, is the oxen have a dirty mind or something he needs to change? It doesn't make any sense. It does, it, when, I read it, when I first read it, I thought, I sincerely don't understand why the oxen or the animals are being treated so poorly that they have to starve themselves too. And what it is, when I found out, it's a little bit of Jewish humor, okay? It's a little bit of Jewish humor, as if God is talking, he said, hey, there's 120,000 people there that I care about, but I did this thing in Genesis where I created everything And I care about my entire creation, not just the people that are inside it, but everything. And so it's a little bit of Jewish humor. And so when you kind of read it, you understand a little bit of that. I care about all of my creation, not just the city, but all I have created. So what's the first thing we learn about God in this chapter? We learn that God is persistent in his belief that anyone can experience grace. God is persistent in his belief that anyone can experience grace. Even a nation so wicked that he was ready to destroy them, he is persistent in his belief that anyone can experience grace. I'm a testimony to that in my own life. In my own life, when I was 14 years old, I started drinking. I started partying with my friends. I messed around with girls. I did a lot of stupid things. And I'm not saying that to be like, how awesome was that? I'm saying that because I'm lucky. I'm blessed. I'm lucky I'm not a teen dad or... Or, or dead somewhere because of the choices I've made. And when I got into college, somehow I got into a Christian college. I don't really know how, to be honest with you. And when I got to the Christian college, I felt like God was telling me, Jesse, you need to be in ministry. And yet I thought, there's no way I can be in ministry. Are you kidding me? Just six months ago, do you, do you remember what I was doing? Like, it doesn't happen that fast. <laughs> and I thought, no, there's no way. So I became a kinesiology major. I thought, if I can't be in ministry, I'm going to do something cool with sports, uh, so I'll be an athletic trainer, and maybe someday I'll make it to the Niners. I didn't know, but I thought, they're God's team, so it would at least help. It would at least help, okay? And so I thought, I'm going to be a kinesiology major, and he said, no, you're not going to be a kinesiology major. I've called you into ministry. And I have been, many times, I have failed along the way But God called me into ministry, and I finally began to realize that my past and my present didn't discount me from having a future with God. That everything that I had done in the past wasn't just some learning ground. It was functionally God's grace that anyone can experience. That it changes things. It changes the whole future. It changes everything. And someone here today is having a hard time believing that. You're sitting in this room just like I was. And you've got a past and you've got a present right now that maybe is just a little funky. 
And you think somewhere in your world, just like I did, that you cannot be used by God, but I'm here to tell you today that you cannot escape God's grace, and it does not matter where you've been. It only matters where you're going in Him. That's it. It doesn't make any difference, my friends. It doesn't mean we don't have to pay consequences in this world for our choices and actions, but it does mean for eternity, God's grace, you cannot escape it. So let's continue on in the story. See what else we learn. Jonah gives 120,000 people an eight-word sermon. They all turn to God. Let's read Jonah 3, 10 4, through 4, 5. It said, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious God and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. God relented and had compassion. It's interesting to note in 4-5 at the very end, it's translated in the NIV as Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. So when I read it, I read it as he gave the message, he hung around, and then um, after a while he found out what happened, and then he went up to to the hill. And then it says, but then he went out to the hill to figure out what's going on. And so I started to research that a little bit, and it's probably better translated, Jonah 4-5, is now Jonah had already gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. And why is that important? Because if you gave a message to a people group that hated you, and you hated them essentially, and you told them to repent or they were going to be destroyed, do you think you'd stick around for that? No, you wouldn't stick around for that. You'd leave and then wait on the hill to see what God does. So all of these things we've just read are happening in the context that somebody else has told Jonah or God has told Jonah, this is how this is going, okay? So when you're reading the story, just know Jonah gave the message. He said, peace, let God do his thing, and then he watched. And now we pick up in that story. I read this part, and I, and I, and I, and I know um, that God is good, right? Because he relented on them. And uh, we, we think sometimes as a, as a Greek thinker, you and I, if you don't know it, whether or not you know it, you're a Greek thinker. We live in a Greek democracy. We have Greek philosophy. Our mindset is very Greek. But this book, this ancient text was written to the ancient Jewish people. And so they had a little bit different context for how they looked at gods. The Greek context for gods was the, were the gods, right? Zeus was the most powerful god. And what made him most powerful? He used it. He showed everybody how powerful he was. And so to a Greek mindset, to you and my mindset, we read this and think, God is all powerful, but he just didn't, he didn't show it. He didn't show that he was all powerful. But to the Jews, they would have read this and seen that God's greatest power and strength is his restraint of power. That although he has the capacity to destroy the city, he chooses not to. He has grace and compassion And so the second point is God is continually reminding us that he alone is the judge. He alone is the judge. If it were up to Jonah, he wouldn't have gone. He didn't want to go because he knew God was going to change his mind. He knew he was gracious and compassionate. He knew God's greatest strength was his restraint of power. And as people changed their lives around, God did not crush them. God is continually reminding you and me that he alone is the judge. That's it. And I read this part. 
I'm continually reminded of what Pastor Ken says. We are changing the way here at Northgate. We are changing the way that people view the church. And why is that? Why is that so important? It's so important because there are so many people. You have friends, you have family members, you know so many people who look at the church and think, hypocrites. They mostly know what you're against, or maybe not you, but the church is against rather than what we're for. They know about all these things, and yet they, and so they don't like it. And so if we can change the way people view the church, then maybe we can invite them into a conversation with Jesus, and that can change their heart. The church should be the most gracious, compassionate, loving place you could ever be, and should be that revelation in this world, but it's not. And I've thought a lot about it as a pastor in the church. What's God going to say to me when I get to heaven about how I acted in my life? What's he going to say? When I get to heaven, FYI, you all die at some point in your life. The Bible is very clear that we will go before God and there will be a judgment. And he will talk to us. And what's he going to say when I get there? Do you think that for one second he's going to congratulate me about standing on a soapbox unless I'm Jonah saying, repent and you sinners and go back and hold a sign? you think he's going to congratulate me on that? No, he's not. Do you think for, an, uh, for another time he's going to congratulate me on how I voted in this upcoming election? No. He doesn't care about that. He's God. He's got, he's got it in control anyways. Do you think for a second that he's going to say, thank you, Jesse, for standing up for me on that issue. My ego really needed your help. <laughs> he's not going to do it. How many of you have heard the term, I want him to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant? Have you heard that term before? Yeah, Yeah, that's not a bad one. It comes out of Matthew 25 when Jesus is talking about judgment and he's talking about when he comes back. And the next parable he talks about, he's talking about the sheeps and the goats. And we conveniently have this like nice line right here. Okay. And he says he's going to separate everybody. He's going to come back. He's going to sit on his throne. He's going to judge. He alone, not you, not me, not anybody else. He alone is going to judge. And he says, I separate the people into two groups, the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. To the sheep on his right, it says this, come, you who are blessed by my father, and take your inheritance. For when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I needed clothes, you clothed me. When I was sick or in prison, you visited me. You took care of me. And, they, and then the, the parable goes on to say, but, but Lord, when did we see you and do these things for you? And he says, I tell you, whatever you did for the very least of these, you did for me. And then he turns to the goats. And sorry, you just happen to be sitting in this section today. <laughs> yeah. It's not a reflection on your character, I don't think. Man, he does not mince words here, though. Jesus is on the throne. He alone is the judge. And he says to the goats on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For when I was hungry, you didn't give me food. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. When I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. When I needed clothes, you never clothed me. When I was sick or in prison, you never took care of me. And they're going to say, but Lord, when did we do these things? When did we never, we never saw you? And he says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the very least of these, you did for me. In the end, not you, not me, not even the church is the judge. Jesus Christ, God alone is the judge. 
And at one point, you're going to get to heaven. And I want you to think about this first question. It's something I've struggled with and wrestled with a lot. I think it dictates how I'm going to live my future as I really wrestle with this. What will God say to you when you get to heaven? What will God say to you when you get to heaven? It's not an easy question to answer, but what will God say to you when you get to heaven? Honestly, does he know you? And if he knows you, are you feeding the hungry? You taking care of the thirsty? You welcoming the stranger? It's pretty clear what he asks us to do. He alone is the judge. He sends a man into Nineveh to save 120,000 people, and he says, I care about them all, all of them, even if they're a bunch of filthy animals. God alone is the judge. And Jonah was angry that he relented, but that's been his way all along. I look around the room, and I see addicts, I see greed, I see hateful speech and dishonesty, and that's just me. I'm a pastor. You guys are far worse than me. I'm sure of it. I know it. (laughs) No. No, no, no. We have a saying for that around here. We are all just people in process. We're just people in process. We're figuring this out, but we're not the judge. Jesus alone is. All right, let's finish the story, see what we can learn about God. Jonah 4, 6 through 11, it says, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? There's another question. It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who could not tell their right hand from the left, and also, FYI, my creation, many animals? Should I not care about them? So Jonah Gets a word from God. Says, God says, go to Nineveh. He says, no. He gets on a boat. So God redirects him <laughs> back to Nineveh. He goes into Nineveh. He does what God asks him to do. 120,000 people come back to a relationship with God and turn from their evil ways. And he's out there and he is throwing a fit. <laughs> Flat out, he is throwing a fit. I'm so angry, I wish I could die. <laughs> That's what he's saying. In that moment... He's saying it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) It feels justified sometimes, our life, how we live it and what we do. Sometimes God's called us in a direction and we go there and then it doesn't turn out the way we want because God is more interested in redemption than he is with destruction. And sometimes we walk into that situation and we go, no, 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 no. I don't like them. You were supposed to take care of that. That's not how this goes. And yet, he comes up, God redeems this culture, and Jonah is throwing a fit. And you know how I know it's a fit? Because I have a two-year-old daughter. She is ridiculously adorable. My daughter is cuter than your kids. That's just how it goes. I hope you feel the same about your kids. But my daughter, she's, some people would call it sass. I call it power. Okay? Now, when she throws a fit, 
when she throws a fit, she stomps her foot and she turns her finger at you. And she turns it upside down. She doesn't point at you like this. She turns it upside down and she goes, no, dada, no. Jeez. And if it gets really crazy, she starts throwing teddy bears around the room. It gets nuts. And you know what? You know what? It's cute to me because she's mine. It's cute to me because she's mine. That's my daughter throwing a fit. You can think she's crazy, but I think she's cute. And what happens is God is looking at his Jonah, and he said, that's my Jonah. That's cute. (laughs) He still doesn't get it. That he alone is the judge, that anyone can experience grace, and that God is relentless in redeeming his creation. God is relentless in redeeming his creation. We get to the end of this book and it ends with a question. Why does it end with a question? Because it's a very Jewish thing to do. To answer a question with a question. A famous rabbi is quoted as saying, we are closer to God when we are asking questions than when we think we have the answers. Another Jewish philosopher says, suppose no one asked a question, what would be the answer? We're closer. So God asked him an important question, so I've got a second question for you. We've read the entire story of Jonah now, and we've related ourselves to him, and we know some new things about God. So the second question I have for you, after what will God say to you when you get to heaven, is are you ready for what God wants to do in your life? Are you ready for what God wants to do in your life? Write that down in your notes, in your smartphones. Write that down. Are you ready for what God wants to do in your life? Because God has an incredible story that includes you. It's a story that's been told throughout history. His story is consistently one of redemption and grace. He alone is the judge, not you, not me. And he will relentlessly pursue you, I guarantee it. There's nothing that can change that. 750 years after Jonah came, came a man named Jesus. Jesus was the son of God walking on this earth. And for 30 years, he grew in knowledge and understanding. And then for three years, he had a ministry. And just like Jonah, for three days, was in the belly of the whale, Jesus came. And for three days, he was in the ground dead. He went to the cross as he predicted. And he died. And better than getting vomited up on the ground, Jesus Christ came back from the dead. And it changed everything. Because, my friends, God is saying in the story of Jesus, if I can conquer death, I can conquer anything in your life. Anything. My grace can cover you. My grace will cover you. I love you. I pursue you. I want you to be redeemed. And so church, you need to hear today that God cares about you. How much does God care about you? He sent his only son. Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in John 3.16, it's a, it's a powerful verse, but it's, a lot of us know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. life. Not a perfect life 
but everlasting life. A relationship with him changes everything. How much does God care about you and to what length will he go to have a relationship with you? He will stop at nothing. He will even send his own son so that you might have a future. And even if you've accepted him before, you need to know this church that there's still a future regardless of where you're at right now. There's still a future regardless of where you're at right now. Will you bow your heads with me for a moment? Some of us are at the point right now where we have accepted God as our Savior. We've said the statement, I need a Savior and I'm not Him. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And Jesus Christ says, I and the Father are one. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we've said before, I believe in you, Jesus Christ. I need a Savior and I'm not Him. And yet, That second question might haunt us a little bit. Are you ready for what God wants to do in your life? Because if you're like me, there's been many times in my life where I said, not yet. I'm not ready, not yet. I'm not ready to give that up. I'm not ready to walk away from that. I'm not ready to to change. I mean, I know you, Jesus. I know you personally, but I'm not ready to fully change yet. I want to hang on to this. I want to work harder. And so some of us have pieces in our life like that. We're Jonah. We're bobbing up and down in the water. We're not sure where life's going to go because we can't let go of the thing we need. And if that's you today, if that, if that resonates with you at all, and you say, you know what, I just, I just, I want to stop saying not yet. When God asks me, are you ready for what I want to do in your life? I just, I want to, I want to say yes instead of not yet. And if that's you today, you're in good company. You're here amongst a lot of people who have made that decision already. And I want you to do something brave with all the eyes closed and heads bowed. I would love for you, if you would at this moment, just simply raise your hand if that's you. You're ready to stop saying not yet. And look at me and I want to acknowledge you. Yes, 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 yes. All around the room, yeah. Yep, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're in good company here. I want to say a blessing over your God. May you use these people's lives in extraordinary ways. May they see the condition of your grace in their life and may it change everything. Thank you, God, for the fact that your grace covers all of these circumstances. We love you. And there are some in this room right now who maybe have heard this message of Jesus Christ and redemption and grace a thousand times and have not responded to it with an answer of, I need a Savior and I'm not Him. And some of us in the room have never heard that message before. There is a need of a Savior and I'm not Him. It's only through Jesus Christ and that my past doesn't discount my future with Him. And if you've never made that decision before, you've never said, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior, there's no better time than right now to make that decision. And so if that's you, I'm going to ask you to do an incredibly brave thing that people throughout the weekend services have already done. But if that's you and I'm speaking to you and you know I am, I'm going to ask you to make a brave commitment. I'm going to ask you with all eyes closed, bowed heads, would you simply just raise your hand if that's you? You want to make a first time decision for Jesus? Yeah, I see you. I see you. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I see you guys. 
It's a beautiful thing when God creates a redemptive story. So Father, thank you so much for the people who have said, I'm not, I'm going to stop saying not yet. I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I'm coming to you. And thank you, God, for the people for the very first time who raised their hands to say, I'm not, I'm in need of a Savior and I'm not him. And thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world so we might have everlasting life with you. It changes everything. Thank you, God, for this time. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.